Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Morse. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic. We have an interesting one for you today. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in the paranormal? We have an expert ghost hunter here with us today from Soul Sisters Paranormal. Chris Sumner spends her time investigating the most haunted, the most scary houses, hotels, bed and breakfast of the world. And she videotapes them and she's all kind of fancy equipment to see if there's really ghosts there. And I was fascinated by this. So I invited her to open mic. So let's, let's bring her onto the show right now. You never know who you're going to see. Be one guy one-on-one my whole career. What you're going to hear. You got a lot of desperate people in the city. Or what they've got to say. When you can take people inside of a crime. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts. Chris Sumner, welcome to Open Mic. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me today. So how the heck did you get involved in ghost hunting? Well, interesting story. Um, we actually, the Soul Sisters Paranormal is an all-female group made up of myself, my twin sister, our younger sister, and then two family friends. And we actually started out as a girl's trip. Um, we've always had a fascination with the paranormal, um, but my sisters and I live in different parts of the country. And in 2013, we were planning a girl's trip, uh, as we do occasionally, just to get together and see each other a few times a year. And we were invited to go to the West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville, West Virginia, because we had a family friend who sat on the board of that of that penitentiary. And he said, why don't y'all come up and, and stay the night in the prison and see if you find anything paranormal? Wait, wait, wait. It, that sounded fun to you? Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. Okay. Uh, we we always said if we had the opportunity to go on a paranormal investigation, we'd jump on it. So we grabbed some uh, some digital cameras, a couple voice recorders, um, a couple night vision video cameras, and we went and stayed the night inside the West Virginia State Penitentiary. And we came away from that experience with such compelling evidence, what we felt was compelling evidence, things that we could not explain, such as footsteps and door slamming and hearing men's voices when we knew that there were no men around the area, um, that we really wanted to expand on that research and formalize soul sisters paranormal which is what we did and is this a business or is this a hobby it's a labor of love um it's a it's a hobby uh, we don't make any money from it it is, it is all self-funded um but we feel that if first and foremost if we can go to these these places that are histo- historical in nature such as revolutionary war forts um civil war hospitals the saint augustine lighthouse and, and really tell the narrative of the historical significance of these locations and then couple that with any unexplained paranormal um evidence that, that we can find then that's really what we want to do um so the first and foremost um, driving factor behind this is that historical research, that historical narrative, because we get to experience these locations in a very tactile way. Um, You know, we get to put our hands on the the bricks at Fort Mifflin, which is a revolutionary war fort, or climb the steps of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. And if we can convey that experience to the the audience that is watching, that are watching our videos, then that's what we feel is the most important. And then we couple that with any unexplained uh, paranormal evidence that we find. And how many investigations have you done to date? Uh, uh, over 20 um, in, in what we call, we call um, them large commercial locations, such as the, the West Virginia State Penitentiary or the Lizzie Borden House. And we really do that. We really go to those investigations, those locations to build our portfolio, uh, to try new investigation techniques, um, to really enhance our investigation style. And then we also will get called in to investigate private residences or businesses that feel they have some type of unexplained occurrences going on in their locations. So 
for the commercial side, we've done over 20 um, around the country. And then uh, in, in our local area, we've done numerous uh, residential and business investigations. So what is your day job? <laughs> um, I'm actually a property manager um, and also I, I'm a real estate agent. I do a lot of work with my family and family businesses. Um, the unique thing about Soul Sisters Paranormal is um, besides being an all-female group, we all have advanced degrees. So I have a PhD in public administration. My my sister, my twin sister has a PhD. We've got two JDs on the team and um, uh, Kim holds a master's degree in education. So we feel that we do bring that research element to what we do. And we also try to elevate our team as much as we can with a professional presence as well. Um, because I mean, when you, when somebody says, you know, you're a paranormal investigator, they look at you like they, like you have two heads or they want to tell you their ghost story. Um, but what we really wanted to do was, was bring a sense of professionalism to a community that really is a subculture in, in the mainstream. Um, and we feel that we've, we've done that um, to some extent by, by that professional presence, as well as, as bringing that research element and that background into this. So I watched the Lizzie Borden episode last yeah. night. Fantastic. Um, and before we dive into that, I mean, it, this could be an obvious question, but you believe in ghosts. I do. Uh, the things that I've experienced, the things that I've seen and, and heard and smelt and felt in some reason, in some cases, have led me to believe that there is something that is after this. Um, you know, in full disclosure, I'm a Christian. Every member on the team is a Christian. We do have a solid background in, in the afterlife um, that we believe that there is an afterlife. Um, we'll call it heaven, for lack of a better term at this moment. Um, but yes, we do believe that there are spirits and entities that for some reason, do not ascend to whatever that next realm is. Again, I'll call it heaven. So yes, uh, to answer your question, I do believe in ghosts and spirits. Uh, how do you decide what houses to go to? I mean, are people calling you and saying, I think this is haunted, or I think this is um, something you guys could check out, or is it your own research? How do you figure out where you want to go? A little bit of both. Um, for the private residences and businesses, obviously they will call us or uh, email us and say, hey, can you come and check out my house or my business? Um, for the more lo commercial locations, uh, we do d extensive research on those locations. Um, a lot of it has to do with availability and our travel schedule. Um, so during the first of the year, we'll sit down and say, okay, these are the locations that could be fun to go to. Can we travel here? You know, what does everybody's schedule look like? Um, so a lot of it does have to do with our travel schedule, again, because we're all in different parts of the country. And then um, then we really want to find those that fascinate us and have a rich historical narrative. Um, you know, for example, the the Gordonsville or the uh, Exchange Hotel in Gordonsville, Virginia. You know, we are all fascinated by the Civil War. So to get in and investigate a Civil War hospital to us was fascinating. So the Lizzie Borden house, to your point, was one of those locations that you know, we've always been fascinated with and we've had a, a an interest in getting into. So um, that's a location that you really have to book about a year in advance, which is what we did. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah, that, that was a location that we just really was on our bucket list. So are you a Harry Potter book fan? Yes, sir. Okay. So you know how there's ghosts flying around all the time and they're in the pictures. And then there was a discussion in book five, I believe, where Sirius Black... I don't mm -hmm. want to ruin it for anybody, but I think we're past the, the yeah, I think, statute I think of limitations. Spoiler alerts are out there. <laughs> uh, when he died and Harry Potter was trying to figure out whether or not he was going to come back, and he was told not all spirits and ghosts mm -hmm. come back. Mm -hmm. And that's still vague right now as to why. They haven't answered that. My question to you is, um, why do you have a, a theory 
uh, as to like the spirits or, or the ghosts that you experienced in the Lizzie Borden house, for example, the ones that we heard on tape, um, you know, who stays back, who disappears. Um, if everybody came back, there'd be a bazillion ghosts running around harassing us all day. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it feels like there's just very few and there's only certain locations. Mm -hmm. So take me through your thought process on that. And, and that's a great question. I firmly believe that there are three reasons why a spirit or an entity would stay behind after they died. The first one is unfinished business. You know, we hear that a lot in, in mainstream media and in Hollywood television shows. But I do believe that a lot of spirits that stay behind have some type of unfinished business that once that's fulfilled, they will ascend to what's ever next. Um, and an example for that is uh, my granddaddy died in 1986. And um, he and my Nana were married for 50 some years. And um, in, in 2016, I had a very vivid dream. He came to me in this dream and um, it, it actually frightened me initially. But in the dream, he looked at me and he said, uh, I'm waiting for your Nana. You're going to be getting a call soon. And about two weeks after that, my, my grandmother, who was 94 at the time, actually had an accident and she went into hospice and she never really recovered from that accident. And so on the day that she passed and with permission from my family, my sister and I went, we took some of our equipment and we went to the house where I had, I mean, I had the dream in the dream. It was a very specific spot in this house. So we went to that house and we asked questions and through our um, equipment, we were able to determine that Nana and granddaddy had met up and that they were ascending together. And then to verify that, Two weeks later, we went back with the same equipment, asked the exact same questions, and we did not get any responses. None of our meters hit. Um, you know, we didn't get any EV, what we call EVPs. None of that happened. So in my belief, granddaddy, his unfinished business was he was waiting for Nana. And so in my mind, I will not experience the ghost of Nana and granddaddy again because they've ascended. So that's number one. Number two is I believe for some reason they're stuck. They know that they passed, but they can't find the way to ascend to whatever's next. Um, and for an example of that, we were investigating the Hales Bar Dam, which is in Tennessee. And the reports are that uh, during its construction, right after its construction, um, there's a series of tunnels underneath and the kids would use those tunnels to get from one side of the river to the other to get to school. There was an accident and a couple of these kids were killed. And so during our investigation, um, one of the investigators was asking questions and said, uh, why haven't you moved on? And we captured a child's voice saying, I can't, I'm stuck. So in that instance, I do believe he's stuck. He, he's, he cannot find his way to whatever's next. And then the third reason is that they're afraid of retribution in the next realm based on the life that they lived here on earth. And I think those are the spirits that we really connect with in prisons or insane asylums. Um, those individuals who led such a heinous life as humans that they feel that they would rather stay earthbound than ascend to whatever's next and face any type of punishment in the next realm. So those are the three reasons why I believe personally, I believe that that spirits remain earthbound. So that third choice is you're saying that people have a choice whether they're going to go to hell or not. Or not so much hell or just face 
any type of retribution. Um, so, you know, whether or not you believe in a hell, that that's one thing. But if, if you passed and, you know, you were a, a rapist or a murderer in life, um, you know, and, and you're comfortable in that prison environment, then ascending to the next level where you could face some type of punishment, again, it could be hell. I'm not sure because I'm not sure what happens after death, obviously. Um, then it, instead of trying to face that, you would remain earthbound. Um, and so, like I said, the ones that we experience in prisons, I do believe uh, fall into that third category. And what, what does EVP stand for? It stands for electronic voice phenomena. And basically what that is, is it's, it's a recording um, of a voice or a sound that we did not hear in the moment, or in some cases we, we do hear it in the moment, but it's captured on some type of an electronic device, whether it be a night vision video camera or a voice recorder or a body camera. It's something that we can play back and actually have evidence that it occurred. And at least for the Lizzie Borden investigation, there was no visual sightings. It was all uh, audio. Correct. It was all audio that night. Uh, we have had investigations where we've captured things on cameras that we can't explain. Um, but for the Lizzie Borden investigation, it was all audio that night. Like what kind of things have you captured on camera? We're at Fort Mifflin, which is a Revolutionary War fort in Philadelphia, and th that place is amazing. So even if you don't believe in the paranormal, I would highly recommend going just for a day tour for the history. Um, but during the Revolutionary War, they built what was called what are called casemates, and essentially these are subterranean um, ammunition storage units. Uh, so there was one that was built. It was actually discovered recently um, within the last ten years by accident. Um, but this was a subterranean casemate, and it was actually used as a solitary confinement cell as well in the Revolutionary War. And uh, so you it, go, it goes about six feet underground. There's only one entrance and exit way. It's one doorway, a wooden doorway. And when you go inside, probably I would say six to seven people could fit comfortably in there, um, but otherwise it'd be really crowded. So when we went to investigate, we set up a night vision video camera and a laser grid inside of that room. And if somebody were to walk into it, they would have to have stepped over the camera. So we knew that the room was completely vacant. And so during the night when we were on another side of the fort, a shadow figure walks from, it comes out of the wall, it walks from right to left, and it actually cuts the laser grids. So it looks like a shadow has walked and all the beams of the laser grids get cut as it walks from right to left across the screen. Um, so that was the first shadow figure that we captured. And we also captured shadow figures in the old Gilcrest County Jail, which is in Trenton, Florida, about an hour's west of Gainesville. Um, again, we had the same experiment. We had night vision video cameras and a laser grid set up beside it. And twice during that night, we had a shadow figure cross um, across the threshold and, uh, and, and cut off those laser beams. And if people want to check these out, where, where are all your videos stored? Our website is www.soulsistersparanormal.com. And we also have a YouTube channel under Soul Sisters Paranormal. Great. And we'll put the links uh, in our show notes for you. Um, so I, I uh, was told that there's some places in Michigan that uh, you want to come visit. Tell me about those. Well, Michigan has obviously a rich history, so there are a lot of places that we would love to get up to investigate. Um, Mackinac Island is, is definitely on our bucket list. Um, you know, that's a location that is, again, just a rich historical history. Um, the Grand Hotel is reported to be haunted. Uh, many people have seen apparitions there. Uh, e even though the employees have seen things that they can't explain. 
uh, there's a location called the Drowning Pool, which I'd love to, to get over to and, and explore. Um, uh, apparently, in, in the, the legend goes that in the 1700s, there were seven women who were drowned because they were suspected of being witches. And uh, so that, that location is reported to be very haunted. Uh, Fort Mackinac is a location that is reported to be haunted. Um, and then in Westmoreland, Michigan, there's a location called the Eloise Asylum, which uh, is definitely on our bucket list as well. I know other paranormal investigators who have, who have investigated at that location and um, the, the paranormal evidence, the unexplained evidence that they have come away with is extremely compelling. So that was, uh, is another location that I'd love to get to. So is there like a club or a organization for paranormal investigators <laughs> like yourself? Not so much a club. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, there is a subculture, a community, I would call it a paranormal community. And so, you know, we're all over the world. There's a paranormal investigators that are in, in England and Australia that I've, that I've met through social media. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're those people that one really love the historical aspects such as we do, and then are trying to find compelling evidence um, of the unexplained. So there, there are hundreds of teams across the country uh, that we've connected with again on social media uh, that we feel kind of share our same values. Um, you know, uh, popular media shows such as ghost hunters or ghost adventures, you know, they do a great job of highlighting the fact that paranormal investigators exist, but I feel that they do a disservice to us in the fact that there's not a lot of instant gratification, at, at least on the style that we have our investigation style. So, um, you know, everybody in, in, in that watches those popular media shows are looking for that 60 minutes of investigation and then evidence reveal. But for us, you know, we're in, in a location 8, 10, 12, 24 hours sometimes. And so for us to get an investigation to video, it usually takes about two months for us. Um, so that, that's really the difference um, that I would classify from the, the popular media shows to that paranormal community that I'm really involved in. You know, we take the time to actually do a, a copious review of the, the evidence that we've captured during our investigations to go through that to see if we can find anything compelling. So the equipment that you use in your investigations that I saw, um, I mean, they, you know, like the one with the little spikes that come out of it and it lights up when something walks by it or maybe it's a sound device. Mm -hmm. Like who created these devices? There, there are people that will um, delve into creating different things based on what we do. Um, a lot of the equipment that we use is actually tools for other things. So for example, the K2 meters that we use that has a light array, uh, those are used by electricians to find electrical outlets and tr trying to find electrical charges. And so we actually use those in the field because we think that, uh, or we theorize that uh, spirits can use their energy to make those laser grids go off uh, or to make those, those K2 meters go off. Um, and anybody in your audience that hasn't seen one of these, it's essentially a handheld piece of equipment that has a light bar on it that goes from green to red. So theoretically, if I were just to stand in an, in an open field somewhere where there's no electricity, it should always stay on green because there's no electricity acting upon it. Um, but once electricity acts upon it, it will change to red. And so something like a microwave or a hairdryer will, will get it up to that red level. So when we're in a location that has no power, and, and there's no electricity anywhere around us or anything on us that sets this off and it goes from green to red, that to me is extremely compelling, something that I can't explain. Um, so we use those, uh, we use something called a REM pod, which is essentially a K2 meter that has an alarm on it. That was 
built specifically for paranormal investigators. Um, you know, the, the device that you spoke of is, is called a periscope and that's based on static electricity. So essentially, you know, when you rub your feet on the carpet real fast and you touch somebody, that's static electricity. So we feel that um, an entity could use static electricity to get those lights to, to alarm. Um, so those are the types of pieces of equipment that we use. And there are different people in the field that will create those. For me and my team, we actually try to go as old school as possible. Uh, and by that, I mean, we really rely on our voice recorders the most because I feel that EVPs, which we spoke about earlier, are the truest form of a communication. So if, if I'm in a location and there's four females and I capture a male's voice or a child's voice, that is extremely difficult for me to explain because I know that there are no men or no children in the area or anywhere around the property. So those are things that is difficult for me to explain. You know, a, a light anomaly or a shadow figure, you know, we'll try to come up with it with, with explanations for that before we say this is something that we can't explain or this is paranormal. Um, but those voice recorders, that they're extremely difficult for me to, to manipulate at all. Not that I manipulate anything, but if somebody would say, oh, you're manipulating these, well, I, I, I would love an explanation as to how. Um, so our voice recorders, we have those night vision video cameras, um, you know, the, the K2s and the rim pods that I spoke about, the laser grids. Um, these are the things that we really rely on uh, when we do our investigations. You know, the, the, the voices that were heard and recorded, although very, very faint, um, you know, was hard, I guess, was hard to explain, uh, assuming there was no, I mean, I, you guys don't have really a reason to, to lie or manipulate all this, um, but it was compelling if uh, somebody in the audience is interested in this. Uh, I've only seen one episode, but I'll definitely be checking out others, but it was pretty eerie to hear <laughs> a male voice just pop out. I mean, I could barely make it out. Uh, even in your enhanced version, it was hard to make out, but um, you do put some, uh, subtitles there so we can make it out. So that helps, but definitely is a noise is definitely sounds like a human voice. Well, th first, thank you for watching that. I really appreciate that. Uh, and, and, you know, for, for us, when we do, when we go through these pieces of, of evidence or we go through our audio, uh, you know, we're, we're listening to it in its entirety. So if I've got say one voice recorder and we have a 10 hour investigation, I'm listening to 10 hours of audio. We actually have 10 voice recorders that we put out in every location that we go to. We leave them stationary for the most part. We each carry one, but we also leave some that are stationary and they'll run through the entire investigation. And and then after the investigation, we'll collect all of that and we'll listen to every piece of audio and we'll watch every piece of video footage. And so for me, when I'm listening to it, you know, 99% of the time, I'm, I'm not catching anything. I'm, I'm listening to static um, or just us talking. So we've really kind of trained ourselves to essentially listen for that background noise. Um, so for us, it, it's pretty easy to pick up when we hear something that uh, that is not the norm. Um, and the men's voice there at uh, at the Lizzie Borden house was something that was that we picked up pretty quickly. Um, you know, we, we try because we don't ever manipulate the audio and I, I don't want to enhance it in any way. The only thing that we'll do is increase the volume. Um, so some people do have a hard time hearing them, which is why I put the sub captions on there. And uh, some people say, well, I don't think that's what it's saying. And that's fine. You know, we we're just putting forth what we believe it's saying. Um, but there are some instances, unfortunately, where, where people have a hard time hearing them, but um, we're not going to manipulate the audio in any way. So if somebody's listening 
to this uh, podcast or they're watching and they think their house might be haunted, um, what is the best thing they can do to try and draw out the spirits to communicate with them or to do their own little investigation? What's the best way to, to go about that? Well, the first thing that I would recommend and is to actually just get a voice recorder, you know, $30 on Amazon, just a, a regular Sony dictation voice recorder and just set it out, push record and start asking questions. Um, and then even if you don't think you're getting any responses, sit and listen to that recorder when you're done. Um, in a lot of cases, I would leave it to run when you're not there and just record the the atmosphere when when nobody is present and again go back and listen and see if you hear anything you know we have a lot of people that will contact us and say oh i think my house is haunted and that's the very first thing that i do i'll hand them a couple voice recorders and say take these record for 24 hours and then we'll listen to it and see if we hear anything that we can't explain um you know before when, when we get somebody that says, you know, hey, I think there's something going on in my house. The first thing that we do is we absolutely believe them. We, we, we say we understand, we believe that there's something going on with you in your house. But let's see if we can find something to explain it rather than paranormal. Um, because a lot of cases, it will be the neighbors or it will be, you know, something that is quite natural that is causing this that you might not think of. Um, for example, we had a business call us and say, my night vision video cameras are going off. Something's manipulating them. I am convinced that there's a demon inside this business. Can you come and check it out? So we actually did. We went and spent the night in, in this business and uh, we weren't getting anything. None of our equipment was, was alarming. Nothing was coming up. We weren't feeling anything. So we did that for about three hours and then we left our stationary uh, video cameras in the location to run it that night as well. So when we went back the next morning, I said, did your cameras experience anything did, did you did anything happen he's like oh yes they were going off all night things were happening uh you know i can't explain it so i asked him for the timestamps, and then i went back and looked at our night vision video cameras and what i found was the position of his business was such that it was a it had a, a, a glass storefront but the way the business was positioned it was on a road where people made a lot of u-turns during the night so when they turned their headlights would bounce into this building through the glass it would hit this mirror and essentially blind his night vision video camera which turned it off and then when the car passed, the night vision video camera came back on. So when you watched it, it did look like there was some type of motion turning on and off this camera. So I said to him, you know, th this isn't paranormal. I, I, it's, it's, you know, environmental. So either change the mirror or change the angle of your camera. And I believe that these things will stop and they did. So we'll go in first and foremost and try to debunk a lot of what they claim to be themselves paranormal. And then absent any environmental factors, uh, you know, such as noise or light or neighbors, airplanes, trains, anything like that, then we'll start to delve into what we would consider unexplainable. And then we'll talk about options after that if we do find something that, uh, that, that, that we feel can't be explained. Very interesting. So let me, let, let me guess. Uh, your favorite holiday is Halloween? <laughs> it is Halloween. Yes, sir. Well, I don't know how I guessed that. And uh, your favorite movie, Ghostbusters? Actually, I'm more of the slasher fan. So oh. Halloween, actually, um, you know, the first Halloween, the original Halloween was actually the first movie that my parents let us watch that, that was a horror movie. And I just fell in love with the franchise. So um, Ghostbusters is a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. I love Ghostbusters. Um, but uh, I'd say Halloween is the, the number one movie for me. 
Ghostbusters was one of my favorite movies growing up. I have mm-hmm. a pinball machine actually at home, the Ghostbusters <laughs> pinball machine. I liked it that much with the Goblin and the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Oh, fun. I, I, I don't think it gets better than that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, and shedding some light on ghosts and the paranormal. We got Halloween coming up, so this is really fascinating. I encourage everybody to go check out Soul Sisters Paranormal on YouTube or their website. And uh, Chris Sumner. Thank you so much. And if you come to Michigan, let us know. We maybe we'll tag along and uh, check check out the uh, haunted stuff. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, I'll definitely keep you posted on when we get to Michigan. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. There you have it. Ghosts in Michigan. Ghosts around the country. Let me know if you believe in this. Let me know after watching some episodes. Text me, email me, comment below. Share this with your friends who like ghosts or who you think have a fascination with the paranormal. So subscribe to our channel and we hope to see you soon. Thank you.